Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. good to be here this morning. This is a, a very humbling moment in my life. And just kind of give you a little bit of background. I am a, a Knox County native. I am a Barville City graduate. I went to Barville City High School. And so this is my home. You know, this is my home. This is my area. A lot of you I, I know and I recognize. And, you know, maybe I don't know you personally, but I know your name or know your face. So coming here this morning, it, it's a uh, it's humbling to be here before you, and I won't give you my testimony because I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I've, I've gave my testimony a few times in the past few weeks, and I know a lot of you are probably tired of hearing it. You can probably tell it as, uh, as good as I can, and, and Dr. Ashburn actually told me yesterday, he's like, we need the condensed version. He's like, we need, we need you to draw it in just a little bit. But again, I, I'm thankful for being here, and it, it's just a little bit of a reminder of how big God is and how, how wonderful that His purpose is, and we don't even see it. We don't even see what God has laid before us at certain times. I remember being in high school, and my graduating year, I was actually up here behind this pulpit at one time. I, I gave the, the commencement prayer for our class, and why in the world they asked me to come up here and pray, I'll never know. But I was standing in this very position, in this very spot, 20 years ago uh, last month. And it took 20 years for me to really realize God's plan that he was working during that time and he was working during that process because I was not the most qualified, I promise you, to be up here delivering any kind of prayer or any kind of speech. But for whatever reason, they asked me. I don't know if they couldn't find any other volunteers or what it was, but I was the one that they chose. And I got up here and I delivered that prayer and here I am 20 years later behind this same pulpit uh, in front of a lot of you that I think, I know Miss Bollinger was, was at that graduation, so uh, what a blessing it is. And it just shows you how big God's plan is and how big, how big that, he, that he is and his purpose in our lives. So again, I, I know some of you, I don't, I don't know everyone over the last few weeks, I've got to, got to meet a lot of people and what a welcoming church. What a welcoming church this is. We, my family, we're not the type who, uh, who like change necessarily, especially when we get to a place and we get comfortable. You know, that's kind of where we're at and where we like to be, especially my girls. So when this, this whole notion that God was moving and that the opportunity that he was showing us and the doors that he was open, we sat down and had a family discussion and we talked about it and we prayed about it. And I was expecting a lot of anxiety from, from my girls especially, but you know what they told me, I'm gonna to try to say this without tearing up, but they told me they were ready to come home because this is our home. They go to school here, and even though we didn't go to church here, this area, the people, the culture, this is our home. And we've prayed for a long time that God bring us back and let us minister in our hometown. So uh, really thankful for that. And one thing that you'll get to know about me is that Throughout my life, I've always been a history buff. I always loved history. That was probably my favorite subject in class. Uh, growing up, my dad, he was very 
very into history. I'll tell you one of our biggest hobbies and pastimes was hunting arrowheads. And we just didn't go out in the fields and hunt arrowheads, but my dad would give us a history lesson about how those arrowheads got there, the culture of, of where we were from. So I'm originally from Stinking Creek is where I'm from. So there is a lot of culture there to learn about, and there's a lot of history there. So I grew up as a little boy loving history, love, loving old stories, loving knowing about where we came from and how we came from. And, and I've, I've carried this over kind of into my, my older years, and I've become that old man now, that old man who, who in front of his kids, you know, I, I'm wanting to watch old westerns, and I'm watching historical documentaries on TV, and I'm everything I, I declared that I would never be, I have turned into that. And that's what I enjoy, that's what I enjoy and I always have. So one of the, the biggest things that I, I love about history, I love learning about not only the mistakes that the past has to show us, but also the things that work. And I think that there's things that we can draw from the past that not only that depict where we fail, but it also depicts where we succeed from. I remember learning about early history. I remember learning about you know, uh, the Crusades and learning about uh, the early presidents and learning about even, even world history always captivated me and I always loved it. And then when I was called to pastor and the Lord called me to Clear Creek Baptist Bible College, one of my favorite classes was church history. And I started to learn about men like Polycarp and Martin Luther. And I started to learn about how influential early Americans like John Wesley was in our beliefs and in the Baptist culture and faith. And I really do believe that history is important. It's important to learn from our mistakes and it keeps the essence that drove the past. And one of my favorite subjects in history, and maybe it's where I'm a little bit of a kid at heart, but one of my favorite subjects in history was about the Spanish conquistadors. And if you're not familiar with these Spanish conquistadors, uh, pirates of the Caribbean type people are who we are talking about. These captains of these ships in the early, early Americas in the early 15, 1600s. And it always captivated me, always drawn my attention. Every little boy wants to play pirate. Every little boy wants to hunt for treasure. Every little boy has a pirate ship that he's made in his backyard out of boxes. And that was me. And we hear tales and folklore about these pirates and ships and lost treasure. But my choice of legend over the years through my study and through, through everything that I have learned, my choice of legend isn't Long John Silver and it isn't... It isn't uh, Johnny Depp, you know, as our, uh, I know he's, he's in the news right now and pretty famous, and a lot of, uh, a lot of younger people, that, that's what they identify when they, they think about a pirate, they think about Johnny Depp. But really, what, what intrigued me and has always intrigued me was the legend of a conquistador, Hernan Cortez. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with Hernan Cortez, but he was a very interesting man. And he had a very famous command that has been, there's been movies made of, there, there's been songs made of. He had a very famous command that he gave his naval fleet, and it was burn the ships. Is anyone familiar with that? Burn the ships. After gaining much of his recognition and notoriety for his conquest in the New World, Hernan Cortez set his eyes inland, and he had committed to overtaking the mighty Aztec Empire. He arrived on the shoreline of the Aztec Empire with 600 men. 
He had already accomplished a whole lot in his life, and he had already done many things. He had riches and treasures that you couldn't even speak of. But he had set his sights on this Aztec empire that had spread globally the popularity of it and the, the, how people had known what this society had built. So Cortez said, and he said his mind, he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to take over that land in the name of the Spanish, of the Spanish Empire. And that's what he did. And he set sail with 600 men and a brigade of ships, and he had his mind and his heart set on taking this land. He had convinced his men that the siege would be easy, that it wouldn't take long at all, that it would just, they would go in and out. Has anyone ever heard that before? Have you ever been persuaded in that way? That someone tells you, oh, this is going to be easy. Come on, this ditch is only 20 feet long. It will, we'll have it dug in no time. And then that 20-foot ditch turns into a 100-foot ditch or a 200-foot ditch. Well, the same thing was happening with Cortez and his men. He had convinced them that this was going to be a very easy overtaking, that it wasn't going to be a lot of conflict, wasn't going to be a lot of resistance. But upon their surprise, when they came up on the shoreline, the Aztec Empire were ready to fight. Because if you know anything about the Aztecs, they were warriors. And this was their home, and it was being invaded, and they weren't going to give it up very easily. So as Cortez men, as they came off the ships, and they, they bombarded the beach, and they, they had all this enthusiasm, and they thought it was going to be quick, they were going to be back home for supper by nine, they would soon realize that, that they were overwhelmed, and they had been overtaken. As the Aztecs continued to fight back and continued to protect their land, Cortez men, what they started to do was retreat. And Cortez, sitting at his ship like a captain does, he was watching all of his men that he had sent out, he's watching them retreat back into the ocean, back to the ships. Well, Cortez was a, was a, a, a mighty man. He had a, a great ego as well. And there was no way that Cortez was leaving there without overtaking this empire. So Cortez made a decision. He set all the ships on fire. So as the men were retreating back to the ships, what they found was a big ball of fire. So they had no other choice. They either go to their imminent death that was waiting on them in the sea, or they go fight for their lives and the conquest that they'd been sent on. So the men turn from the ocean and they head back to the beach and they fight with an intensity that Cortez didn't see when they first arrived. You see, when they first arrived, the Aztecs were fighting for their lives. And now Cortez men, they were fighting for theirs because their comfort and safety had been taken from them. Their way of retreat was no longer there. Not too long after that, Cortez men, they eventually overtook the Aztecs. And that's where we see today the Spanish influence in Central America. That's where it started from, was from this brigade and this action. You see, ships in our lives... They can keep us from living in the faith that Christ calls us to. The known, it's much less scary than the unknown. That's why we, like Cortez men, we revert back to these comforts and we retreat in it. We retreat in our sin. We retreat in our comfort. We retreat in our tradition. We retreat in all these things that we know and that we're comfortable in. And sometimes you have to set the ship on fire. Because Christ does not want you to be comfortable. He wants you to serve. Our scripture this morning, it gives us an insight into what biblical faith looks like. And that's what these men had. They had faith. They had faith in their captain. They had faith in their mission. And they had faith in themselves. 
But what we're going to be talking about is a, a faith that is much greater than that. It's much greater than any, any brigade or any naval assembly that's ever been assembled. We're going to talk about a faith that you can only find in Jesus Christ. And our scripture this morning gives us insight into that. Faith is the cornerstone of what we believe as Christians. And it's best defined in Hebrews as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. If you will at this time and you're able to, I'll ask if you stand with me. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. And again, if you're able to stand with me at this time as we read God's holy word. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on water. Come, he said. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity today. God, not an opportunity that you have presented me, Lord, but an opportunity for someone to hear your gospel, to hear your saving grace, to hear your power that, that you died upon that cross with, God, to hear that there, there is something more, that our faith is not in this world, God, that that is superficial and it, it, it will never last. But the faith that we put in you, Lord, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that is what provides eternal life. And God, I just pray that your word be spoken, that your word be heard, and that we leave here today, God, forever changed, that we are never the same. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. So as we look at our scripture this morning, what we really see is that our faith must lie in the authority of Jesus Christ, not in the confidence of our own being. And I think we're all guilty of that sometimes. We put a lot of faith in ourselves. We put a lot of faith in other people. We put a lot of faith in families, in jobs. We put a, a lot of faith in, in school systems, in a lot of things we put faith in. But when we really look at our own spiritual life and we look at it with a, in, in a mirror of a reflection on ourselves, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're putting a lot more faith in other things than we are in our Lord and Savior. Matthew, in this text, he's writing to Christian Jews. 
These are Christian Jews who are still hanging on to some of their old beliefs. They're still hanging on to some of the, the covenant law that, that Jesus came and Jesus, Jesus let go of. Jesus paid the price that we no longer live by that covenant. But these, these Christian Jews, they, they like Jesus. They like what he stood for. They liked his teachings. But they also liked their tradition. They were comfortable in it. it. Made them feel good. It's what they knew. And Matthew, that's who he's writing to in this book. And really, the overall theme and message of the book of Matthew is Christ's kingdom. And when we think about Christ's kingdom, it's not necessarily a place that we're talking about, but we're talking about the reigning of a king. That it is his ownership, that God give him all authority upon earth and heaven. That Jesus is who he says he is, and only he can do the things that he says he can do. Kingdom is used in the book of Matthew 56 times. In the entirety of the New Testament, that is over one-third of the times that we see the word kingdom. It is mentioned here in the book of Matthew. Really, the book of Matthew can be broken up into three different categories if we really study it and look at it. It can be broke up into the person of Jesus, the proclamation of Jesus, and the passion and authority of Jesus. In our scripture today, Matthew 14, 22, it gives us a great example of the proclamation of Jesus showing his authority. Jesus showing he is who he says he is. He makes the wind and the water obey. He walks upon the sea. He rescues Peter when his faith is weak, ultimately pulling him from his own insecurity to arrive safely back in Jesus' presence. This is one of the 21 miracles that Matthew records in his writings. It's one of the most known to Christians and people who aren't Christians, to believers and unbelievers. They can tell you a little bit about the story of Jesus walking upon the water. But what we're going to look at today is not just the miracle that Jesus performed is walking upon the water, but we're going to look at the faith. Not only the faith that it took from Peter, but the faith that was provided in Christ. First thing we see when we talk about faith, when we talk about building the foundation of faith and what it takes to be a faithful person, we're faithful to our spouses, we're faithful to our, our careers. What does it take to be a faithful Christian, to be faithful to our Savior? First thing, we have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. The disciples, they didn't recognize Jesus at first. As they seen Jesus walking upon the water and this storm was raging around and they had been set sail about four miles into the sea, they seen a figure coming and they seen him walking across the water. And at first instance, if you look in the scripture, it says they thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a spirit. Now these are the very men who had been walking side by side with Jesus Christ. They'd seen the miracles he had done. They'd seen the healing that he had performed. They'd listened to his teaching. These disciples were as close to Jesus as you could get. Yet they still had trouble seeing and believing that there was a man walking on the water. Thought it was thought a it was ghost. A they thought it was a spirit. Surely a man cannot walk on the water as they were witnessing. Well, they were correct. He wasn't just a man. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the perfect Lamb. 
He is the king of kings. And Jesus identified himself. He said, it is I. And the literal translation, when Jesus says, it is I, the literal translation of this is, I am. Jesus said, I am. And we can see that in our Old Testament text. We can see that in the book of Exodus. It is presented again to Moses when he is confronted with God and God says, I am. We know this is Yahweh. And Jesus here is proclaiming his authority. He's showing that he was more than just a man. That he was God in the flesh. And after identifying himself and those being a witness to the miracles and authority that Jesus had already shown, Peter recognized and believed it was Jesus. Peter knew that it was Jesus. When he heard him speak, maybe he had doubt before, but when he heard Jesus speak and proclaim that I am, Peter knew that it was Christ. Only he could be walking upon the water. Now, Peter is a fisherman by trade. And Peter was pretty familiar with the water. And I do believe that Peter knew a regular man could not walk upon the water. You remember when you were a kid, did anyone ever have a swimming pool in their backyard? And did anyone ever try to walk on the water? Or was that just me and my, my goofy cousins? We actually would try that. We would try to run from one side of the pool to the other. You can't do it. You can't do it. You sink. Because that's who we are. But see, Jesus was different because Jesus was not an ordinary man. Jesus was God. The first First step step in our faith, it comes with the belief that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the resurrector. He is the redeemer. He is the son of God. He is the, the spotless lamb that was not only mentioned in the New Testament, but he is proclaimed in the Old Testament as well. You see, I am a firm believer that every page, every sentence, every word in this book was meant for Jesus Christ. That everything points us to him. That it is not a contingency plan, but Jesus was the plan. He was always the plan. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. Second thing we must think about when we're building our faith is trust. Now, Peter recognized it was Jesus on the water. He recognized his voice. He recognized that only only Jesus could be walking up on the water. Not a normal man could be doing this. So Peter Peter recognized him, and he asked to be brought out with him. He said, Lord, bring me with you. A lot of people, when they read this text, they think that it reads that God gave Peter the power to walk upon the water. But you see, that's not how the text reads. Jesus had the power the entire time. And Peter was just asking to be a part of this. He was asking to be a part of Jesus' presence. Peter knew that he could not do this on his own. Again, Peter knew the water. He'd probably fell in the water a thousand times. And he knew what he was seeing before him was impossible. Yet he had the faith to want the same thing. He said, Lord, bring me. Lord, bring me out there with you so that I can walk upon the water as you do. Peter knew he could not do this, but he trusted Jesus could. Second step in our faith, it comes with trust. Trust that God's purpose and power is greater than our own. 
that his purpose and power is greater than our personal, our personal limits and reasoning. You see, it's more about him than it is about me. I've learned a little bit over life. Now, I don't consider myself old, but even though I've lost a lot of hair and got, got kids and, and that kind of thing, I, I'm still, still clinging to not calling myself old or aging. But I, I know it's inevitable and I know it's happening. I know it's going to happen to all of us. And one thing that I've learned throughout my life is that any time that I put my hands in something, I tend to mess it up, especially God's work and God's plans. And there was a point in time in my life when I was a younger man and I thought that I could take on the world. I thought that I could do anything. I thought I could handle anything that the world and God could throw at me. Be careful making this proclamation because the world hates you this morning and God is bigger than you. And that is something that I had to realize. When I realized God was bigger than me and I tried to turn to the world, I soon realized that the the world hated me. So I was going to have to make a decision. I was going to have to put my faith in one or the other. Thank God for godly people and thank God for his purpose and his reason for drawing me closer to him. And I learned to trust him. It's a big part in our faith is learning to trust God. We don't understand it. Might not always line up with our plans. We might not even see the the reasoning or the capabilities of what God's doing in our lives. We don't even know the means of it, how he's going to make this happen. But what I have learned is that he is God. And if he wants to walk on the water, he can. And if God wants me to walk on the water then I'll walk on the water as well. So I've learned through my life to put my trust into him. Finally, I think one of the cornerstones of our faith, what it takes to be faithful. You talk to a lost person, when you talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ, or maybe they do know Jesus, or they've just not committed to Jesus yet, You talk to someone about faith, and it's kind of a hard concept to grasp. So you believe in something that you can't see, that you can't touch, that you can't really accredit physically with anything, yet you have devoted your entire life to it. So explain this faith. I think God gives us evidence each and every day. When a baby is born... Why is that baby born like it is? It's because of God. There's no medical explanation. There's no scientific explanation, even though we try. But a newborn child is a miracle that we witness each and every day. We think about the wind that blows. None of us question that the wind is blowing. We all know it. We all see what the wind does. We see the effects of it. Yet there's probably no one in here that's going to argue you that the wind isn't real because they've seen what it's done. So I use this same argument as God in my life. If you look at my life as a whole, you might not see God physically, but you'll see the remnants of where he's been. You'll see the things that he has done. So as we build on this pillar of faith, 
The final thing that I, I believe the scripture shows us is that we have to devote ourselves. When Peter devoted himself to faith in Christ, he walked on the water. When he admitted, Jesus, this is you that is out there. I know it's you. I don't know how you're doing it, but I know it's you and I need some of that. When, Jesus just, when, when Peter just gave himself completely, completely to Jesus and devoted himself, he was able to do a miraculous thing. When his devotion was interrupted, however, by the storm around him, Peter began to sink. That's kind of the story of our lives, isn't it? We're devoted when we need something. We're devoted when we're excited. We're devoted when things are going good. But when the storms in our lives come, our faith begins to dwindle. And our faith goes away and we begin to sink. And we can't figure out why. And the first thing that we, we begin to do is point to God. You have done this to me. Even when his devotion was broken, even when he was focusing on the storms around him and all the chaos that was happening, the scripture tells us that they were terrified. These men were terrified. We're talking, it's still darkness outside. They were terrified of this storm that was raging around them. And even when his devotion was broken and Peter began to sink, Jesus was still there. Jesus was still there. Peter was no longer able to walk on water, but he still had a Savior who was reaching and grasping for him. And sometimes that's where we are in life. We're not quite ready in our faith to walk upon the water. But what we need is a Savior who is just keeping us afloat, who is just reaching and, and yearning for us to grab a hold of him. See, he was no longer walking on the water, but Peter's life was still well in Jesus' hand. The third step in faith this morning is understanding that our devotion to Jesus directly reflects the grace he will work through us. It's not the storms in our lives that keep us from walking on the water. It's our lack of devotion and faith. I'm not a, a real winded top preacher. I'll, I'll just be, be up front with you. Um, I know that's hard to believe after all the meetings we've had this week. I, but I believe that the scripture speaks for itself. And I don't believe that you need to know everything about me. I believe that it's less me and it's more him. Life is hard, and I'm sure all of you can attest to that. We've all been through things. We've all been through trials. God makes us all different. He sends us on different paths and gives us different directions, puts us through different trials, and it's hard. And one thing that's very hard to do right now in this day and time that we live in is to trust. It's hard to trust. You can't trust the government. You can't trust the you can't, can't trust your employer, can't trust family, can't trust friends. We've all had those stories of broken trust in a lot of different means and a lot of different ways. Not only is it hard to trust, it's hard to devote. We've got a lot of things going on, don't we? We've got kids in travel ball. We've got, we've got 
two jobs. Some of us work two, three jobs. We've got farms to work on. We've got all kinds of things that we do and that we, that we put our time and attention to. It's hard to devote. It's hard to put our faith in that. You're telling me if I come to church on Sundays, it's going it's to harvest my corn on Wednesday? See, it's where we look at things. We look at things with worldly eyes. Because as Brother Tom talked about this morning in the men's meeting, the harvest is ready. And the harvest is out there. It's just not the harvest we're focused on. It's not the harvest that we're putting our faith in. Life's hard, it's tough. Jesus told Peter, he said, you of little faith. And we look at that and it kind of comes off like a negative, doesn't it? That Jesus said, you of little faith. Look at what Peter did with a little faith. With a little faith, look at what Peter did. Peter walked upon the water. Peter discipled with the Messiah. Peter left everything he had ever known to become instrumental in the church and its creation. With a little faith, Jesus was able to save Peter. He pulled him from the water. He pulled him from drowning. He pulled him from sinking with a little faith. So when I read this scripture, I don't see, I don't see negative content. I see hope. Because in reality, that's what we all have, isn't it? A little faith. Thank God that's all it takes is a little faith. He was able to recognize Jesus in the storm. All of this with a little faith. And then he found himself safely in a boat with the Savior of the world. And then they all proclaimed, truly you are the Son of God. And I ask you as you leave here today, I ask you this question. Are you willing to burn the ships in your life? Are you willing to burn these comforts that we find ourselves running back to, putting our time into, putting our devotion into, putting our trust into? The things that are convenient and they make us feel good and we, we know all about them, they're familiar. Are you willing to burn those ships this morning and say, God, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what you're going to do. But I'm going to storm that beach. And I'm going to fight that fight. We all have a decision to make today. Ephesians 2.8, one of my favorite scriptures. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Jesus is a Savior that can take a little faith and do an extraordinary thing. And I praise Him this morning for saving a wretch like me. Because that's all I've ever had is a little faith. And I stand before you today. If you will, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, again, Lord, I thank You for this time. I thank You for this, this presence, Lord, of the Holy Spirit that You have brought with us today. I just ask, God, that your word be heard, that you break down the walls of each and every heart today, Lord, that it, it pierce those and the conviction that, that reigns upon them, God, that can, they can never, never turn from. 
I pray, Lord, that that we leave here today changed, that we find our faith in you and in you alone, God. And I, I am thankful for that. I am thankful for what you've done upon the cross. I am thankful for the grave that you conquered. Grateful for the salvation that you gave when I didn't deserve. I praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.